Black people. Tell black history. You don't know us from, you know, a hole in the wall and two cans of paint. So I was just very excited. <laughs> we were both very excited very. that you agreed to do this and to talk with us. Your work has been formative in, I think of myself as already a pretty radical person, but reading, particularly seeking the beloved community and shadow boxing and really just all of your work has really let me know that there is much more work for me to do within my own politic and with my own radicalization that I'm constantly growing in. So I really credit um, you with a lot of that and giving me the language of war and war resistance. I'm from Oakland, California. Erica is from Maryland, Mm -hmm. uh, East Oakland, California. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of political influences and just growing up, you know, in the hood in Oakland with the presence and the context of the Black Panther Party and seeing Elaine Brown walking around all the time. But there's still this push to be neoliberal and to assimilate even in a place like that. So just reading your work Mm -hmm. has really, it changed my life in a lot of ways. It really has. So I really need to tell you. Thank you. Well, I would say, you know, it's all collective, right? You know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I mean, we're just recycling what we know, but I totally agree with you. What we know is often Mm -hmm. suppressed because people want to be safe in a conventional way, but they also want to accumulate. I understand Mm -hmm. being safe. I understand getting enough to feed your kids, keep the lights on and stuff like that. But I also wonder, maybe we could talk about this, if there's something about a collective ego that we have just after centuries of being Mm -hmm. conditioned that... We want to be good black yes. people. Well, even though like the good ones also get yeah. shot up, right? And beaten to death like Kyrie Nichols. So I didn't see yeah. how that was working. But I would, I mean, I would be happy to talk whatever you want to talk about. And actually, y'all are the ones that keep me alive and from being like totally breakdown moments, right? You know, they happen, but it's the connection with people. That's why I want to talk yeah. with you, like not to you. That it's like, oh, I'm not yeah, crazy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I know you already know. It's like, I'm yeah. not crazy. It's, you know, the world is, but it's not me, right? Or the state is. Yeah. yeah. And me. we were talking about that a little bit yesterday, too. I mean, we were, the comparison, I think, is always often Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And they both, we literally said this yesterday, they both were murdered by the state. So even the, if Martin Luther King is considered the good black person, a pacifist, it, it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't, it didn't correct. stop exactly. a bullet. Yeah. No, correct. It so, didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, we have a ton of questions. I mean, I don't even know if we're going to be able to get through all of them, but I think you started to speak to one actually. And for those who don't know, do you want me to read your bio or do you, how you want me to Right. Well, we'll have forward. you introduce yourself. <laughs> yes. And how you want to be okay. thought of and, and talked about. Well, I'm Joy James. I'm an academic. It's like I'm a superhero. <laughs> By day, I'm academic. By night, I try to help like the resistance, right? Because I grew up a military brat, ROTC. So my politics went 180 from my socialization. But I also noted the impact on my father, even though he was working for empire and as an officer was leading people to kill for empire, right? Which is an ongoing job description 
for the U.S., right? It's like the use of Black people, even the young people who were hit by drone strikes in Iran, and Fox News cares about us, so they're blasting that out. We need it. No, they care about the resources, the oil dominating the terrain, and why do our people have to take these deadly jobs anyway? Particularly if the the young the sister one of the sisters was a reservist. Again, I didn't go in the military. Yeah. I just trained for it and lived with officers. Why was she in a war zone? Like she's a reservist, and that suggests that maybe people don't want to be recruited into these violent zones of employment. Be a police officer, you know that was in air quotes. Because you're not an officer yeah. of peace, right? You're the you're a disciplinarian for yeah. empire, right? And to also be moving through these sites of acquisition. So I think one of the things that politicized me was seeing the dysfunction, the pain of family, and also having these cocktails for officers, black officers. So they're playing jo- uh, John Coltrane. My dad wow. loved Coltrane, right? But they're also drinking heavily because they understand that their people are oppressed and they're working for the oppressor in order to pay for braces or music lessons or just not to, if they get, you know, somebody tries to shoot them up, they can like, well, I have weapons too. And I work for the empire. So we need, you need to rethink yes. this plan. Right. But people like he transitioned in his fifties as a Lieutenant, a retired mm-hmm. Lieutenant Colonel. And so for me, I always see the contradictions and I always see the violence. I mean, before we started taping, I think we talked a little bit about war and even to talk about war is prohibited. And I'm not opposed to dreams that academics have or abolitionists have or feminists have. But also I understand, as we all do, how violent this incubator Mm -hmm. is and what it's trying to bake is not our freedom, but oppression and to continue domination, which is just more occupations, more genocide, more dishonor, and more yeah. death. So I, that shaped the way I did my writing when I was in grad school. Because I, like I've said this, it's a cheesy joke, but it's true. My mom was like, "You can't keep a regular job because you don't listen," which was true, <laughs> right? Because I always got fired. I also, so I was like waitressy. I was doing everything. It's, oh, you're fired. You can't listen. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go to grad school because <laughs> you can kind of yeah. listen. And obviously I got through it, but I was skipping, you know, classes to go to protests against the NYPD or like anti-apartheid stuff. But when it came to the writing, the way we're socialized to genuflect in terms of white intellectualism, Mm -hmm. even though it also has its own predatory Mm -hmm. DNA, right? My dissertation was on Hannah Rand. I never turned it into a book because I, you know, it's like the only philosopher they would let me study, right? As legit at the time. This This is probably before you were born. But then when I started writing, it was because of the activists, so when I got a postdoc to work with Davis, but I'd known Davis before academia because, you know, we were in Nairobi, mm-hmm. Moscow, Alabama, New York City, you know, because I was trained by CPUSA the and Communist Black Party, Radical right? International. Yeah. Yeah, by the Communist Party, but I never joined. And as I said before, I thought you could just organize and not join, but that's not really how it <laughs> works, right? And so I learned from a lot of different people, and I'm grateful because I learned one way of thinking on military bases with an officer. 
I learned another way of thinking to be in New York City when people were organizing and resisting December 12th committee. Later, when I finally got in the academy, meeting like Panthers, but East Coast, not very West good. Coast. So the Harlem people, very different because that's where like BLA, other the underground, different things, history of long resistance, yes. right? And so this is my long bio, which I'm going to shorten soon, to say that for me, the intellectualism comes from the community and the community fortifies its backbone by our willingness to tell the truth as we see it. Like we don't always have to be active in a specific moment or play, but we have to not veil the reality and so my contradiction with the academy is there's a lot of veils that keep dropping and they're yeah, free yes. veils. Like you used to be free COVID mask. Here's a free veil. Like, you know, veil the reality of proto-fascism or the reality of the Democratic Party or the reality. It's on and on and on, right? So that we can fit in, be safe. But there is no safety without clarity. And there's no clarity in my mind for community without agape mm. or love. So that's been my schooling, you know, doing my time in academia, but having the life of my mind, that's a phrase from Arendt who I don't particularly like. But anyway, my life of the mind comes from y'all as intellectuals, as people like we need to ask questions and we need to give you other ways to think. But the way we produce collectively culture, that is the culture of Maranage, which is the the heartbeat of more resistance. Yes, and that's Erica Garner. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think... You know, do, exactly. Do you view yourself? Um, <laughs> you touched on a lot of different questions that we okay. have, so I'm gonna get into a couple. I actually have one from yeah. what you said. I also, sure. I'd say, mm-hmm. both of us work yeah. in academia, and something that we grapple with as Black, queer, trans, non-binary folks navigating that space is the violence mm-hmm. and the ongoing violence. And I love what you said is that you your mom was like i don't know what kind of job you're gonna have because you don't listen and i feel like a lot of people that are professors or work in academia or seek academia also have a similar story and i have been fired many times from these spaces because of the violence but also because i just refuse to have the veil right and to pretend that these spaces are not you know, the foundation of displacement and genocide for indigenous and indigenous Africans in the continued displacement of especially black folks in various cities across the country. So how do you, as somebody who works in the academy, navigate that as, cause you mentioned it as a contradiction. So how do you like sit with that every day? I think I struggle with being a part of it and also critiquing it. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should just go. Maybe I should create my own classes and and Mm -hmm. do my thing separately. Mm -hmm. But then there's, you know, the conversation that you started with as well of how do you support your family and what does that look like? And I don't want to be beholden to these institutions, but a lot of times it feels like there's no choice. And I know a lot of people, a lot of Black um, academics grapple with that. And I know that's not necessarily exactly our question, but I just made me think of that. No, I, I appreciate that. And I am sorry that you have to go through so much pain and so many attacks. But as we know, it comes with the territory. It's, it's, I call it the Trojan mm-hmm. horse thing. 
like we're giving you the gift of, you know, coming to the academy. And then at some point, you know, the horse opens and then all these like militia folks come out to jab you or stab you in different ways, intellectually Mm -hmm. and emotionally. For me, uh, I had a Madrina. She transitioned, beautiful woman. And she kind of, what you were saying, she kind of told me, she said to me at one point, because I was always calling her up, (laughs) complaining, (laughs) righteously. So she said, uh, if you start running, you will Mm -hmm. keep running. Mm -hmm. And so it's true. I moved from, I mean, one, like my first job in women's studies, first black person Mm -hmm. hired, right? You messed up. Like literally one of the, which I guess they were going to be my mentor. But like white women said to me, if you can't basically behave, you can lose your job because you're assistant prop. And then it's like my mom said, not only like you can't listen, but also you can't remember to close your mouth. So my response was like, and I guess you would welcome a lawsuit. So the thing is, I mean, I never sued him because Mm -hmm. I left. And so I spent time getting these fellowships, you know, the Ford or the Rockefeller, whatever. And I think at the time I got them because people thought I was a liberal because it wasn't quite clear Hmm. what I was. And there was a a dearth of certain kind of black women that presented, oh, you know, I trained in European philosophy. So even if I'm not really, I can pretend like I'm smart as opposed to, you know, being in whatever global, progressive, radical you know, loving intellectualism, you know, that would should shine for you. But what you want to see is a black replication of mm-hmm. yourselves, right? An extension yeah. of your master. Or, you know, Audre Lorde's master's tools are not just about physical violence. It's also about intellectual yeah, and emotional absolutely. violence, right? So getting that time to think is when I actually started writing. And because the people who I was getting inspired by were the people who were doing things. So resisting state violence came out in 96. Davis did the forward to it, right? But it was about organizing that I had done before or during the time I was getting Mm -hmm. the doctorate. And that's when I realized that I was probably actually an intellectual who wanted to write because I was no longer like on the Brooklyn Bridge with everybody. And I talk about that, you know, there's parts of me that's a coward. I can't swim like the NYPD's on one side pushy and the sisters and the brothers, the brothers are like women and children go to the back and the women, the black women are like, are you kidding? No. no. And then I can't go to the back because the sisters won't go to the back. And it's like, okay, we're just going forward. Right. And obviously the community protects us so yeah. we survive, right, to the extent of what we do. But even processing the organizing that I saw us do, that is what turned me into an intellectual. It wasn't going to the library. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I mean, I didn't like the people who trained me. I didn't respect them. I wouldn't even take a letter from them once I got the doctorate. So I couldn't get a job for a couple of years. But then again, once I got in and my madrina said, You can't, these people betray you on a regular basis, but if you keep Mm -hmm. running in a way as ghost hunters, they're Mm -hmm. following you. And the same narrative about that's a difficult black person, you know, that's going to follow and, you know, until you turn around. And so I think the most difficult one I start would be at Brown when I was Mm -hmm. full. And then I had, when I was at Boulder, I talked about it or wrote about it 20 years after the fact the dysfunction in doing these conferences, these Mm -hmm. abolition conferences that are paid 
for basically by white money, yeah. right? And so after Boulder, you know, I went to Columbia for a year and then I went to Brown. And then because I sent a, le- a letter or book inside after I did the anthology for the Boulder conference, which was a lot about celebrity and academics, not a lot about on the ground organizers. I sent it to Jilo Muntakim because I had invited Panthers to come. And they gave me a list of people inside because I wasn't that familiar with them. And he's out now. He got out in 2020 after 49 years, you know, Panther and blah, Black Liberation Mm -hmm. Army, right? He said, thank you for the book, but it's not relevant to the material struggle that we know, particularly as political prisoners inside. So when I went to Brown, I had like, it's not a lot of money now, but it was a lot for me then, $10,000 in research funds. And so I just used it to bring in former political prisoners, right? Fafia Bukhari, people who were in the weather underground, people tied to AIM. And also I brought black radical intellectuals from the West Coast, the people who would become the architects of Afro-pessimism. Mm-hmm. So with were doctoral students, Frank Wilderson, Jared Sexton, Dylan Rodriguez, maybe, or maybe came another time. So it was being there outside of my head, focused on what somebody had told me, that what I was spinning as an academic wasn't part of the reality Mm -hmm. of struggle. And so I had to honor what was written in a letter by somebody I'd never met. I mean, Mm -hmm. I met him years later when I, you know, back in New York and I would go visit, you know, but then I got to see how the university mm-hmm. operated and how hostile, I mean, whatever the hostility level was before, it yeah. went off the hook, right? And But now, like a couple of months ago, there's a celebration for the purchase of Mumia Abu-Jamal's papers. And I'm like watching it online. I'm like, damn, 20 years ago, you kind of pushed me out of Dodge, right? So-called, yeah. right? Because I was embarrassing the university and actually got called into what I call the principal's office, which is the president's mm-hmm. office, right? You can teach anything but advocate nothing. I was like, what mm-hmm. is that? I don't teach even anything but advocate nothing. Wow. Nothing. I was like, what? Not, by nothing meant nothing yes, radical. Okay? They weren't saying don't advocate okay. liberalism or okay. capitalism. And so, you know, so... My disaffection for the academy is as real mm-hmm. as yours. I've just, I think from the Orisha to the ancestors to certain protectors, like they kick in when mm-hmm. they want to. Like other times, you know, I'm like, I'm about to lose my job or I'm like depressed or something like that. But they kick in and we're yeah. still here. And that's allowed us to pull back the veil as often as we can. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm perfect. And maybe I shouldn't be unveiling them sometimes. Maybe I should just leave the veil mm. in place. I don't know. I don't have like great discernment. But what I do know is my madrina told me not to run, which for me means you have to stand, you have to stand mm-hmm. and face the even if it's an onslaught, you can move to the side, you can dodge, mm-hmm. you can duck. Nobody's supposed to take like something mm-hmm. straight to the heart. But you can't agree to the lies of the industry Mm -hmm. and of the culture just in order to be safe. Because then I would just start eating my own self up from the inside out. And my own self-loathing would prevent me 
from even being able to tolerate myself. So I had to do something at least. Are you a Gemini? No, I was like, I'm not in Gemini. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't seem balanced, but I am living. No, 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 you're very balanced. The last part made me think. The self-loathing part okay. made me think Gemini. Well, because they, I'm a Gemini. But oh, Libras right. and Geminis love the air signs. signs. That's what we do. Yes. We self-deprecate. <laughs> I'm misread the room. You know, you mentioned something about the brother who when you gave them your book and they, you know, said that hmm. it was not really applicable to the material struggle. I I do have a bit of a question about that because I'm assuming this was a, you know, presumable black cis man who, you know, said that and were, you know, possibly or currently or formerly incarcerated. I do feel like there is some tension with this idea that given it's almost like you talk about practicing guerrilla intellectualism, which is anything but cowardice is the absolute opposite of that. And I'm wondering why, like you talked about in Seeking a Beloved Community and particularly talking about Asada Shakur and the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army and how Black cis men, sort of cisgender men dominated our political and radical imagination about what a revolutionary is and looks like. I'm interested in do you feel like sometimes people's feedback or maybe his feedback or because there is no difference there's a difference material difference probably between you and him but as a person who I don't know how you identify your gender but a person who would be gendered as a woman as a black woman at that you deal with similar disenfranchisement and your body is often a site of attack particularly by the state a big target so I feel like there's a little like massage noir, massage noir, you know, that some people might practice, even if they are, you know, maybe a political prisoner or whatever the case may be. I think to say that what you were offering wasn't a part of the material conditions. Is did he ever consider your material conditions that you grew up in or was living in? That is really interesting. So this is turning into free therapy. Um, <laughs> The Libra and the Gemini. The Libra and the Gemini. I don't even have to pay for it. Like, you know, that's expensive, right? Even the copay with the insurance. So, a lot of people dislike me, and a number of people over the years have disrespected Mm -hmm. me and keep doing it. And they're intergenerational. That Mm -hmm. is so sweet. (laughs) So, it's kind of like, I think I might be an anomaly. Like I've heard black feminists say, like within earshot or through the third party, that I think like a man. And I'm like, I don't like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm non-binary because I have preferences, but I say when I was, you know, younger and organizing, I got trained in a women's dojo. It's all women. It was, the sensei was lesbian. She was trained by Black Panther in Harlem. I mean, our our lives and the people who influence and enrich our lives, it's very yeah. diverse people, right? But the presentation that I have, and it's another weird thing, is like when people meet me, they're always like, I thought you were taller. I was like, what does that have to do with? So I think there is a weird way in which people um, link radical thought or advocacy to a certain kind of physical mm. persona. 
and a mental persona. So I was never feminine enough to be recognized as female by some of the sisters. And then some of the men thought I was too masculine as well. But then there might be an issue like, well, then we have to dominate the Mm -hmm. discourse because we can't let somebody who's not embodied in bodies like ours or has the recognition we do in terms of of male leadership, male, you know, whatever, kind of shape the narrative. So it's this this very, Black feminists don't want me to touch the narrative and they're black men and they don't have to be misogynoir. And the, the ones who are like, definitely yeah. like, mm-hmm. no, go away, slap the door, right? But the ones who are like, we're here to be allies, I think they still have to work through some yeah. issues as well. So I just assume it was just because I was just weird. I was a, I was weird as a kid and I'm well, weird as an adult. And so the weirdness, like some of the ambiguity, some of it, you know, when you're younger and you just like cut, you cut off all your hair and you have a buzz cut and you're, you know, there's just these different, you're only working with women, you're not working with men. But then at another point, you're working with everybody. You know, I just, I wonder if we feel, in order to feel intellectually safe with people, we have to categorize them in different ways. And so that becomes the way in which we discipline people. But like, my mother was a, at five with her twin went to the fields to pick Mm. cotton. And my father was an intelligence officer. I already got disciplined as childhood. And I didn't realize till later that nobody can discipline me because I already met all that stuff as a young kid. So you can threaten me, you can isolate me, you can badmouth me, you can spirit. But I mean, it hurts my feelings, but it's not gonna stop me from writing what I plan to write, saying what I plan to say. And so maybe it's that conditioning with a certain kind of parents, yeah. right? Who's was like, everything's a war. You know, I, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, get yeah. used to it. But it would be nice if we had more candor and more solidarity and we let the rebels do their thing and support them, but mm-hmm. not yeah. tempt mm-hmm. them. Not their stories to promote, oh, we're rebel. No, I never said I was a rebel never said I was a revolutionary. I only said I was a librarian and an analyst. And for whatever reason, I know how to write and I know how to analyze. That's right. That's clear. That feels seen in what you just said. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's yes. just the, the it's, it's now therapy for me, the hatred and the isolation, the isolation and the discipline that people mm-hmm. try to have with you. They try to have their way with you. I mean, it is very... Mm-hmm. much rooted in the gendering it's, it's consistent with that to treat someone gendered as or identifies as a black woman to treat them that way mm-hmm. yeah can i can i i'm sorry I didn't want to, but what you said would just trick me i don't see them doing it to white it's women. very consistent with black regarding mm-hmm. but i mean like, not just the men but That's also 100%, black women 100 and i'm like wait you know that woman like works for whoever who's not into our people, but they're into you personally and your platform. But I've never, yeah. Okay. Now I'm (laughs) 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 upset. You know, Ebony and I talk about this a lot that black people 
love white people. I mean, that's just straight up. And there, yes, I don't yes. know if it can be love as in love as we understand it. Not certainly not agape, but there is there is a fear that black people have of white folks. I mean, obviously, it's absolutely ancestral, but that plays out to this day where it's yes. much easier for you to badmouth a black person who is fighting for your you know liberation right alongside of you than to badmouth a white person who could care less. Well, there's a lack of ramification <laughs> for that. That's true. You know, to, and mm-hmm. there's a, the power dynamic and power struggle where yeah. a black cis man mm-hmm. can say to you, you know, you know, let me tell you what is not, you know, helping the material conditions of our people. Let me try, like you said, discipline you because I'm being subjugated by the state and cannot exercise discipline toward Mr. Charlie, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Toward you know, mm-hmm. I can't do that towards you. Talk about, yeah. you, you, you talk about this, or at least I got this from your book. What struck me yeah. is that you do talk about Manuel Tortuguita Taran, who was killed in, you know, protest in Cop City in Atlanta. And you mentioned the execution, the public execution of George Floyd. And it made me think about Jordan Neely, who was killed by a white Marine on a crowded New York subway, that was mm-hmm. just last year. Mm-hmm. And you, you said that, you know, yes. despite our care, emotional intelligence, and political determination, without collective strategies, our caretaking freezes or falters. Becoming trained Maroons capable of coordinating war resistance deflects or defies predatory violence. And so I just have a question about, like, how can you speak more to that and also this fear? How do we come up against predatory state violence against our people, but also try to reconcile this weird slavery, I guess, driven love for white people, Mm. love in quotes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And also even that love is shaped by, I feel a kind of political Mm. economy. I mean, I don't see them loving white Appalachian (laughs) people. I mean, You know, it's like, do you have resources? Can you give me a a job? Can you give me a $100,000 or $250,000 grant, right? Can you get me published in the New York Times? Can you get me published in the New Yorker? So on and on. So I feel this is really tricky, but very interesting. I feel I got to go back to Mm -hmm. Mumia, right? So there was a campaign a year or two ago with Mumia, it's still going on. Mumia Bujamal, their medical committee and team. Uh, it's called Love Not Fear. And this fear is spelled P-H-E-A-R, I believe. But you can look it up. It's prominent in different places. And at first I was like, mm, I don't know about that, right? Because we have to have fear. We have to like da-da-da. But a lot is going on has gone on in the last mm-hmm. year or two, not just in the public spectacle of, of lynching and murders, mm-hmm. right. And genocidal warfare, but a lot's going on in our mm-hmm. own lives. And so I realized, yeah, I've probably been captive mm-hmm. to fear and see, I make myself override the fear. And it's like, I'm going to say it anyway. I'm mm-hmm. going to publish it anyway. I'm going to march anyway. I'm going to, pro- but then I'm wondering what would happen if I just relinquish trying to hold mm-hmm. fear. And if I could just shut it to the best, maybe it's just like slothing or with a loofah, yeah. right? Or something that you just like personal health care that you just like scrub and just let the particles mm. 
go. And the fear starts in childhood, mm. right? And even in the family, like we're going to keep you safe by disciplining you so harshly that you will know never to step out of line and then hopefully the white people won't come get yeah. you kind of thing, right? It's almost like the boogeyman, right? But the, the truth of the matter is that disciplinarian move also can instill fear that makes you dysfunctional. So I'm not trying to be brave. I'm just trying to mm. be true, which means like the basic is I won't lie. And maybe I talk too much. I'm sure a lot of people think I do. That's fine. You can have your own opinion on it. But for me, I feel clarity is imperative. Mm. And I think there are different ways of being bought. I have an employer they're like at times, you know, like they strip you of your, let's just say hypothetical yeah. employers, strip you of your research budget, take your endowed your way, and then they give it back when they feel like you've been disciplined enough or you're like, I don't give a damn. I'm yeah. still going to do it. It's not like I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing because you're like rolling, mm -hmm. right? On, you know, you got a boulder that you push down the hill. And I'm also, I don't want to be like Sisyphus. I'm going to keep pushing yeah. that boulder back. I would rather, like I say in the book, move from the epicenter to mm -hmm. the hypocenter, like where the rebels are, and just say, hey, can I be useful? Like build funds, mm -hmm. write something, educate something, get a publication out that you've written, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But the fear, the fear terrifies us. And also I think a sense of being protected is being in the compound wielded by influentials. Now, here's one thing that I was didn't think would happen, mm -hmm. but it did, is Claudine Gay got mm -hmm. fired. And she did yeah. all the right things to please mm -hmm. the liberals mm -hmm. who had all the Well, Ackman is not the only billionaire on the planet. There are liberals, like he's a reactionary. And of course, his wife, Neri Oxman, well, she's plagiarizing too from yeah. Wikipedia. And, you know, that's kind of a white privilege Yes. You know what I mean? Like, you, oh, it's a mistake. But if a black person do it, does it, then it's something else. But when I watched that clip of Stefanik grilling people, and Stefanik is a white supremacist because she's doing that replacement thing. So she's also an anti-Semite. Yes. So I'm watching this anti-Semitic right-winger who supports Trump grill four women presidents as if they're anti-Semitic. And nobody breaks mm -hmm. script. So this, I believe Claudine would still have a job if she went radical yeah. and went rogue. And it's like, you're judging me? Didn't you write this about, you didn't do the Jews will not replace us narrative? Was it, okay. Wasn't that your chant? Mm -hmm. Like, how, you're the anti-Semite. No, babe. I'm the one who's just trying to be decent and educated and trying to get these kids to get degrees. I would, I, you know, if you had gone yeah. rogue on her, but she thought the white liberals mm -hmm. would protect her. And they did okay. until they didn't. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so even if we invest in them, you can get, she has a nice paycheck, but the account of abuse that mm -hmm. she got from reactionaries and now they're coming for diversity, which was always an, you know, integrationist and, you know, liberal thing anyway, they're coming with, Torch torches, like not no, even tiki torches, real big yeah. ones. And so people want to stay on script and be polite and liberal and think that's going to keep them from burning down 
their house. And that's not really how it works. Sorry, I cut no, you off. No, 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 no. It just made me think. I, I, I think I was about to cut you off, so I apologize. But it made me think about your writing about bell hooks in your book, uh, kind of like alongside of talking about the parallels of hooks and Garner. And what I was struck by mm-hmm. with you writing about that was the critique of bell hooks and that she kind of remained in the academy and didn't necessarily do much organizing work on the ground. And it makes me think about this saying, which I think what you're going to say is that it's neoliberalism. And now I can hear that it is, is that people will say there's a role for everybody towards liberation and it all looks different. Some people make sandwiches, some people teach, some people protest, right? What do you think about that? That I feel like people kind of tell each other that to make themselves feel better. I don't really know. Yeah. Mm. No, that's really, I love your question. (laughs) Technically, it's true. Everybody has a different Mm -hmm. role to play. But if you drill down from the surface of that, that's what I mean by the epicenter, like you're skating on the surface Mm -hmm. of politics. If you drill down to what we've just agreed to, we all have different functions. Mm -hmm. We can't follow different political positions that are in antagonistic like you know what I mean say it's like the material like if you're going to deliver food or water or you know like what we would do years ago bring like bread and peanut butter to the people sleeping in the parks right before Manhattan figured out how to gentrify almost everything right that was a practical function and like we bring sweaters and clothes and blankets whatever we protest on the bridge whatever We didn't necessarily always share the same political Mm -hmm. views, but we didn't have oppositional political views like because we were all supporting Mm -hmm. radicalism. So I believe what you said, you can have different function and tasks if you're supporting Mm -hmm. radicalism. If you're supporting liberalism, my take on it is there's counter-revolutionary and that's like CIA, Mm -hmm. FBI, you know, Malcolm's daughters are suing both with yeah. the NYPD for the assassination of their father. And you should, we should also pay for Patrice Lumumba, Che Guevara, you know, Cabral, Amilcar Cabral. I mean, there's yeah. a really long list, right? But if you're a counter-revolutionary, you're just sabotaging the radicals and the progressives. If you're an anti-revolutionary, you're not really working for the state per se. You're like, I'm an independent thinker, da, da, da. But you're adjacent because you're not opposing the state. So I guess what I'm trying to say, unless you're in opposition to state violence, you're not in alignment with freedom movements. You're management. That's what I was trying to say or write about in shadowboxing, representations of Black feminist politics, when I start talking about Black managerial mm-hmm. feminism. And I pick it up a little bit in New yes. Abolition. So the beauty I saw in Erica Garner, and I never formally met her. And like I said, I was mortified when I learned, you know, she transitioned after giving birth four months, for, left a four-month-old and a seven-year-old mm-hmm. behind. And the boy, the baby boy was named after her father, right? But what I was trying to do in respecting Bell Hooks, but juxtaposing the two, is like Erica learned on the ground. And so she knew the material reality Mm. of struggle. 
she started off with Don Lemon and doing these mm-hmm. liberal talks and trying to like what Martin Luther King said. But by the betrayals from Mayor de Blasio, from Governor Cuomo, from President Obama, and she's like, everybody's playing. My father was executed mm-hmm. by state officials who have, you know, who can, nobody went to jail over that. It's just like a repetitive narrative of our losses, right? She became more and more radical. And you could clearly see she wasn't messing with liberalism, Mm -hmm. right? And neither were those people who were in her cadre. The thing about Hooks, you know, I met her decades ago when I was in Union Seminary and she was like visiting and having a debate with Michelle Wallace and talking about feminism and everything. And that was cool. I learned from her. Mm-hmm. I read her work. I taught it. But when I was working on the Central Park case and I was organizing on it, like our sensei, she told a bunch of us we're multiracial, non-binary, just whole mix mm-hmm. of folks, right? Go to the trial. And we stood in line. They put it in the smallest courthouse Youssef Salam, who is now city councilman in New mm. York City, right? He was going to be railroaded. All five youths were. But, you know, I watched the jury. They were, like, chewing gum, reading the New York Post or something. In the middle of the what? trial, I was like, is this even legal? And But because we were there and we were organizing, we understood the reality on the ground. But Bill wrote something about, like, they were guilty. And I was like, oh, she's following the narrative of the New York Times, the the New York Post. And they're getting their data from the NYPD that railroaded those kids. They had to take the kids back to the park so they could put themselves into the crime against Tris Millie. Because they were like, no, we were over there. And the police said, no, 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 we were over here. It's like, they weren't there at all. It was Matias Reyes who Mm -hmm. attacked her, right? So- this is like the way I think about it, right? Is that this is another desire to be accepted by white intellectual, you know, affluent society. So without even knowing the facts, and Barbara Smith wrote a piece too, right? People were assuming the teenagers were guilty and they had never done any organizing mm-hmm. around it. So then you get, you know, prominent black feminists not saying the kids should be tortured and more than one of them was tortured when they were incarcerated. But they're spinning a narrative like we have to do better and feminism is important. Mm-hmm. And all that's true. We do have to do better. Feminism is important. And but they're not the guilty and I had in this to do with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but even when Ava DuVernay and Oprah, when they finally mm-hmm. do the film, it's like a tearjerker, but it has no narrative about the resistance. We were on the street. We were like yelling at Al Sharpton when he showed up with Tawana Brawley, which I thought was a form of kidnapping a child, you know, and promoting like a crime that probably never mm-hmm. happened, but she was going to be used mm-hmm. in different ways. And the black woman I was organizing with, I was like, are we going to take on Sharpton? And they said, absolutely not. And I was like, okay. But then who are we protecting and why? And so we, our politics, can, I feel we should simplify our politics. It's like, look, if we want to be free, we're going to be radical. You don't have to have it on your T-shirt, but you need to be faithful and disciplined. You can't be going back across the line to liberalism or trying to, like, you know, make connections with people who are going to be on CNN or be prominent and have all this money that maybe they can give mm-hmm. to you. I'm not saying we should 
support, but I'm saying we should not be bought. I mean, Lord, I mean, that, <laughs> I'm just sitting with that. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting with that. Mm-hmm. Um, did they? Did they say why they didn't want? Was there a narrative that because Al Sharpton was, you know, a prominent? person or a or just yeah. because he was a black man they just was like I, I want the buy-in or mm-hmm. i want the support or was it inconsequential was it like he's a non-factor no At he was point. not right. a non-factor exactly. no and he wasn't a non-factor later i mean this is what i'm told mm-hmm. could be wrong but when some of us started criticizing his protégés people got visits mm-hmm. right somebody's apartment gets trashed because we were talking about where's the money and what, what y'all doing Cadillac commercials, what's going on. I get an unexpected um, window tinted black SUV pulling up in front of my place where you're not even supposed to know where I am. Right. Cause it's not listed yeah. anywhere. Right. And, but somebody calls me if I like, there's a black, they're going to be showing up at your house, just be called. And it's like, what? So there's an intimidation factor that's along with the like carrot. It's a carrot and stick thing. We can like mess you up or mess up your psyche, or we can give you money if you can mm-hmm. stay on script. And the script is that you don't mess with okay. our money. And our money is coming from the state yeah. and corporation. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I respect the, that's why I respect mm-hmm. the political prisoners and the POWs, right? I wish we could get them out. I wish we were more focused about getting them out. But I'm sure at some point everybody's offered something and people said, no, like Kamal Siddiqui, the father of Asada Shakur's child. So there was some domestic, I talk about in the book briefly, and maybe I don't have all the facts, but I just cite as a scholar what mm-hmm. I see in print, right? But something's going on and somebody's, you know, police are called to the house, they arrest him and they realize who he is that he was her Mm -hmm. co-defendant. And then they offer him, quote, a deal. If you will ensnare and lure her back to the U.S. so that the FBI can arrest her, we will make sure that there's no charges against you for anything. And he says, no, that's the mother of my child. It's not going to happen. So they find a cold case of a murdered cop decades ago, I believe, and then they hit him with that cold case. There's no witnesses. There's no forensic evidence there's not so now he's supposed to die in prison that's what i'm saying when i see like people that principle i just have to be decent i'm not going to be heroic but i'm not going to you can't buy me Uh, this is what a free therapy oh god i had a break (laughs) literally i would like you to buy me because i would like that kind of money because we have medical bills and other things my right hand would slap my left hand if it even yeah. reached yeah. for it. Yeah. But I am envious of those kinds of payouts. Like, oh my God, you got how much for being, you know, an advocate for yeah. Van whatever? Jones, you know, 300 or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, he made that's, that's, that's yeah. real money. I got to say, you know, because the Koch brothers, like one of them yeah. is deceased. And and I'm going to say it over and over again, their father made his money by running the oil and gas industry for yes. the Third Reich. And FDR had to say, you're going over the line, like you need to stop making that much money and come back because we're going to be yeah. doing the war, right? 
But the Koch brothers got him fired in the Obama administration as the green czar. And then a couple of years later, the Koch brothers Van are Jen. funding wow. him for yeah. abolition. But it's abolition that it was yeah. it had a twist to it where you couldn't prosecute people for pollution because the, just like their dad, their money comes yeah. from gas and oil and they're destroying the Gulf, yeah. right? And the waters and everything with the drilling and stuff. And, or people, they blow up stuff and working class people die. You know, it's like, we, you can't, we need abolition for accumulation for billionaires. That's, yeah. that was the plan. But he, he took the money. So, and we can't hold the people accountable. We can't get Clarence Thomas to mm-hmm. stop taking money. We can't get Linda Green Thomas or Thomas Green who vetoed mm-hmm. the ceasefire mm-hmm. yeah. at the UN. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with certain black people. I'll, I'll just say, I don't know what to do. I, I really, I have, so agape, we not talk a lot about love. You talk a lot about love, agape love, and love as political will. And, you know, I, I want that. I, I have it here. I, I guess I want to know... What is your, considering the, the context of everything that we made, what is your vision for Black people's collective liberation? Is there collective liberation? Is there a collective With liberation when you got the, these people <laughs> around here? Yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, I mean, thank you. Like, now I know who I am. <laughs> okay, so some of the younger people, like, mock me around mm. agape. But they don't hear me when I'm talking. And I appreciate you because I feel like you hear me. You don't have to agree with me, but you actually hear what I'm saying. Okay. So I can't talk about it because I would be, quote, punching down. But they're doing a lot of, you know, throwing Mm -hmm. crap up. Like I said, I'm like the elderly black woman on the porch in my rocking chair. And y'all keep throwing garbage in my lawn, right? So at some point, I'm going to come down the stairs, right? So the thing is, the copy that I was thinking about is tied to George and Jonathan Jackson, mm-hmm. all right? And yes, I've been in seminary and I go to church sometimes. And yes, I went to the Janaza in the mosque to honor the transitioning of Sekou Odinga, who is one of the people who helped break Asada out. And there were no injuries. Nobody got hurt. But when he was later arrested for 33 years, they would pull out his fingernails, his toenails, torture him, you know, basically try to explode his organs and 33 years of that. And he survived. He came out, but he transitioned earlier Mm. this month. So for Agape, we can share with everybody, but that doesn't mean we tolerate any Mm. kind of behavior. I never Mm. said that. I mean... You can love somebody, like your parents told you, I love you, so I got to discipline you. Hopefully you wouldn't be corporal, but, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it is. But, like, maybe you don't watch your show. Maybe you don't have dessert, mm-hmm. whatever. But our care for each other doesn't mean we're patsies. And it doesn't mean that we're mm-hmm. sentimental. I'm not mm-hmm. sentimental, right? So this kind of love that is revolutionary love, that will take you from the superficial, from the epicenter closer to the hypocenter where the war is waged in clear terms of life and death possibilities. Mm-hmm. It's not just about your political mm-hmm. attitude or what kind of job you would like, or you want one of those grants, you know, that's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. It is really 
about what will we do to stop the killing? Like when I was talking to Tavis Smiley yesterday, and I'm not sure I was always clear, but at some point, you know, like his listeners were like, we believe in the death penalty. And I was like, there's a history to that. And it doesn't look good because it's tied to our genocide and indigenous genocide. But I want to respect what you're saying. But at some point I said something like, in order to, this is what we would have to do. We would have to stop the killing in order to control the Hmm. killer. And the killer is the state edifice mm-hmm. itself. We have no control over mm-hmm. this government. Even like we, they can do protests that are led by Jewish people. You can protest against the drone strikes in Africa, or so-called AFRICOM that was ramped up under Obama. You want to start a war with Iran. You're okay with 25,000 dead, with, you know, six to 7,000, I'm talking about Gaza, mm-hmm. children who've lost mm-hmm with mass starvation now you want to send them to you want to send the palestinians to the congo it's like they spit in your face mm. while they torture you and i was like i'm sorry y'all have crossed too many lines for you to think that i think that agape is about okay. sentimental love agape is political will because it understands the violence arrayed against us and it's better that we care for each other in order to move to the next level of resistance than that we constantly mm. spit on each other. I am not spitting on anybody when I critique them in print or in a verbal way. I am trying That's to right. be clear because there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of BS being sold to people as if it was a resistance move. No, we know what the real resistance movements are. We know they got shot up. We know how Fred Hampton and Clark and Mark Clark mm-hmm. died, right? Not so if you're mm-hmm. not, uh, yeah, I mean, how Tyree mm-hmm. Nichols died, how Samaria Rice's 12-year-old son, mm-hmm. Tamir, died, how Michael Brown died, and you left his body in the streets Sandra for four Bland. hours, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Sandra mm-hmm. Bland, like there's a whole... There's a whole mm-hmm. list, right? And we we can't go through the death row because we never sleep yes. and we never eat. But here's the thing we can do. We have the capacity to love and deliver care in the ways that do not reflect bourgeois consumer yeah. society. We can stop, you know, like I, I'll do a lavender bubble bath any moment <laughs> that I can spare to do it. But I'm not saying, I mean, it feels good, yeah. like, so I'll do it. But I'm not saying that stops imperialism. So we should be able to do the self-care, but we also have to be deployed. And while we're deployed, we don't just shoot up the friggin' room. This is the the frustration I have with some of, you know, again, you can critique me. Don't care. You should. That's your job. But the whole thing is not just to roll up and just do a drive-by. There has to be a strategic reform response to organized violence that now promotes black people as the faces mm-hmm. of empire. So many black people got these jobs. My dad mm-hmm. got one of those jobs. He had a BA, but when he left after being drafted, he left the military, he couldn't get any job, but as a cook. So he went mm-hmm. back in, yeah. right? It's like, I don't want to cook for white people. Like, oh, I'm a, I guess I'm a kill for white people. But, you know, whatever, it's going to come with more perks in some status, whatever that means. But, it, you know, if you die at 55, 57, mm-hmm. then something was going on. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it. Whatever they teach you is a perk is a okay. poison. So you're going to engage in self-harm or you're going to harm your community because you have so much self-loathing because you're well, like Malcolm broke it down, house or field. Now, some of the house, if you're running messages and you're sneaking stuff out, I totally get it. But if you're like, I, I love Malcolm, you know, is our house burning down? An imperial, rapacious, genocidal empire mm-hmm. is not our house. We're just like, they rented yeah. us some rooms and then they mostly they just, or they let us sleep out, you know, in the cold or substandard housing. And their jobs are garbage because of the disparity yeah. of employment and we could yeah. go on and on. So if we were to break ourselves out of that cycle, rage enough is not mm. sufficient. You can have a agape and rage at the same time. I'm raging. I'm yeah. raging right now. But like the agape is what tempers in my mind and understand like you have to do a 360 wrap. You don't kill everything. And maybe people are, you don't kill anything. Mm. And I'll agree. I believe you have self-defense, but what is self-defense? It is not unbridled aggression. Yes. Well, Well, I would impart to everybody to really take heed and to listen to this over and over and over again. And to go by. And to go by. All of Dr. Dr. Joy James' books. But like this one. (laughs) But this one especially where if you made any mistakes. This one one just came out in the UK. Contextualizing Angela Davis. Is this out now? It just came out in. Yeah, it came out in London. It'll be on the U.S. in February. But it's actually a very compassionate book. So don't say hate me. It's a very compassionate book. It talks about how our desire for integration and our desire for mobility and our desire to help Black people as working class and poor, how that can be manipulated into these mm. larger structures. So that if you leave Birmingham at age 15, to go to a white private high school in Manhattan and you're living with, you know, Harvard trained white intellectuals. And then you go to Brandeis and you go, but you're missing all the movements. And it's not about her per se. This is all of us. We're not really in those movements. So you're in Europe when people are throwing down, then you're like, I have to come back from Germany because I've got to be in the mix. And then you're going to go to California and then you're going to meet the Panthers. But in some way, it's an imago. It's a love story. It's like, this is a revolutionary cadre. It had contradictions. Huey Newton definitely had contradictions, right? And so if you're sending death squads from California to take out people in New York, then, you know, obviously we got a problem. We can't even talk about it. But Newton was not a revolutionary at one point. So here's what I'm trying to say. Without context, that's why it's called contextualizing, Davis. Unless we can provide a context for our icons... We can't discern reality from fabrication. And I'm not saying they're spinning. Mm -hmm. They don't have to spin. The culture, the liberal culture will spin. What kind of icon would you want? You want people to follow, not directly, but the writings, analyze and read George Jackson, which would be a problem for everybody in terms of the state. Or if you want somebody who's an academic and influent and speaks multiple European languages, that's what we're groomed to be. That is the good that's progressive right. black. Whereas maybe the rebel with the deep agape yeah. who's going to walk into the hypocenter and stay there, 
maybe that is the greatest expression of the love that we deserve, that they would risk everything in order to offer us some aspects of not just protection, but of liberation. So again, you can read my work and not read my work. I'm not going to stay up all night bean counting. But I would like to think if it's not my work, somebody else's work that kind of takes you off yeah. grid. Because right now the grid is electrifying yeah. us and slowly yes. killing us. Yeah. So I'm telling y'all, thank whether you. y'all hating or not, to go <laughs> read this. Um, thank you so much, Thank you much, so much. Dr. This Joy is James. like a bomb. Um, I have so many questions that are still (laughs) sitting here unanswered. So I would love to do a part two with you whenever you (laughs) are available. We're going to go out. Everybody go out and get that. Contextualizing Angela Davis when it drops. We'll have all the information available for any of those. This episode will come out in February. So hopefully we'll be able to put the link. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly this one here. Yes. And if you do have, I mean, this one was my like soul. I know we were running over time, but you can see my bitterness sometimes when I'm like high status hustlers, low status hustler, everybody yes. get out of my house, right? There was these moments when I'm like, I've had too many experiences, but we can also provide free or subsidized books if people are doing okay. book readings and all the proceeds, I forgot to say, from New Bones Abolition go to prison yes. radio that supports Mumia yes. Abu-Jamal. So we're not yeah. keeping any of yeah. that. Yeah, so we'll have a link to yeah. all of that and ways okay. that folks can support. I am, you know, I want to leave everybody with a quote from the book that where you, well, actually this quote, I'll leave you with a, I'll leave folks with a quote from the book just because I think it's, it was, it's really important. It really touched me and I want to read it from New Bones Abolition. And this is when you you talked about Erica Garner's piece in The Guardian, which was a, a rare public time that she actually was published. Four months after her father's murder and two years before her premature death, Garner noted the warping effect of advocacy democracy fueled by philanthropist money and the cultivation of a managerial class like you speak about during this interview. Speaking in relation to her own experience organizing, she declared, conflict can destroy movements. The need for funding turns allies into competitors, scrambling for the spotlight. Media-ordained spokespeople co-opt the work of grassroots leaders. From tactical differences to infiltrator sabotage, internal struggles plague social change work. Present movements against police brutality included. But for months after my father's homicide, I didn't quite feel part of the movement at all. My family and a few locals rallied in Staten Island every Tuesday and Thursday. For hours, we would protest as passersby went on with their lives like they didn't didn't even see us standing there. And I felt like it was important to end with that quote just to give people insight into Erica Garner's life as not just a captive maternal, not just as a victim of predatory state and police and violence, but as a true maroon and as a true revolutionary and her sort of imperative to us as black folks to really stop scrambling for the crumbs that white people leave us. And like Dr. Joy James says, how to not sort of fall for the political economy that's created and when black death is normalized by the state. So I just really feel like my agape driven love, which I struggle with 
I'm working on it. I'm working through it. But I think it's this idea that black people, we really need one another and we really do have to sort of stick together as, you know, the old adage says, not to quote Rodney King, but we, we do need to all just get along in some sense. But that doesn't mean that, you know, if you are a agent of the state, that, that that's acceptable. That means I can still love you as a black person. I think I can still love you. I'm still working through that. But <laughs> we got to sing together. We need a part two. We need a part we two. A part two. You Thank bless you us so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll love you, but you can't just tear up the house and destroy us. That's not going to happen. Peace and love and blessings. And thank you for your Well, I love you. Thank you, Dr. Thank you. Thank you.